This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. A few months after COVID-19 took over our lives, a testing clinic opened up that would play a unique and vital role in the pandemic. Those who opened the clinic in San Francisco's traditionally Latino mission district had already noticed the disparate impact the crisis was having on that community. Fast forward more than two years, and the site, which is run by a community collaboration known as Unidos en Salud, or United in Health, has done more than 90,000 tests and has produced critical research on the spread of the disease. But as my colleague Aaron Alday reports, the clinic's future is uncertain. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Damien. Aaron, tell us about this effort in the Mission District. It's located at, basically at the 24th Street BART station there in the Mission District, right in the heart of the Mission District. And it's it's pretty well established at this point. They call it a semi-permanent site, and it's this sort of clutch of, of white tents, that get kind of decorated for each season. It's a really lively space. At times, it's been incredibly crowded. We'll have lines around the blocks for people to get tests or to get their COVID vaccinations. And it's just become this like really kind of established health checkpoint in in the community there. And that kind of started up. It was this very you know un- unique partnership between these these Latino community leaders the city public health department, and then the scientists at UCSF and a few other organizations who kind of just got together very early in the pandemic and decided that they were going to kind of team up in, in equal parts. And that's like the unusual part where you have the community kind of playing just as much of a role as the scientists and public health. And it, the idea was to kind of do this trade-off between the scientists they wanted data, they wanted the science, and the community kind of wanted to understand exactly what the pandemic, how this pandemic was affecting their community. And so that was sort of the the handshake that that was, that was built on. Erin, you say unique. I mean, how unique is it for a site like this? There's probably a lot of clinics that have come and gone. So the thing is, it's it's impossible to say that this is literally the only one in the country, but folks I've talked to think that it may be one of the only ones in the country. And it may be, it, when it opened, it may have been the first to have that sort of deep community collaboration where there was this, this partnership that developed. It's not unusual for, say, public health department to go into a community, set up a clinic that's run by the Department of Public Health that's just sort of about bringing, bringing care to that community. We can all think of, you know, a bunch of examples. You open up you know, a testing clinic in the Castro for for the LGBT community. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of examples of that. But that sort of partnership where you have the community leaders that are actually involved in kind of collecting the research in sort of delivering some of the care and interacting with the community, that is what's really unusual. And the interesting thing is it's actually based on work that, that UCSF researchers have done on HIV in Africa, where these sort of community clinics are very popular, very well established and very successful in sort of getting HIV care to the community. But we haven't really done that as much or really at all in the United States. And in fact, they're hoping that the success of this clinic in the Mission District, and especially all the science that's come out of it, will sort of lead to more of this happening in other parts of the country. And I am aware of maybe two or three other locations that have sort of spun out in other states from the work that's been done in San Francisco. 
And that site, I mean, what is unique about what it can offer? What kind of research, what kind of help for people? So the main thing is that getting kind of the the community really on board with it allows you to sort of do the kind of in-depth research that's kind of hard to do in just a, a typical, a more typical kind of laboratory setting. So for starters, so if you think about when you look at, if you're trying to get like data on uh, infectivity rate, like how many, the test positivity rate, and when you're just kind of testing everybody in a community ordinarily without their sort of involvement and partnership, all you can really find out is say what percentage of the people are testing positive. You can't really get any further than that. But if you get the community on board and you get them to sort of want to be engaged with the research, then you can kind of go back to them. And the people who test positive, you can go back and collect information about how many people live in their household. You can get kind of follow-up blood work and determine what variant they were infected with and maybe find out some information about what that means about that variant. You can look at what kind of jobs they have and if their jobs sort of um, interacted with, you know, transmission and, and you know, whether or not they're testing positive. So there are all these sort of like, like real kind of ground level information that you can collect when you have the community sort of actively participating in the research instead of just having the scientists kind of come in and do their thing and then walk out. Let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, this was one of the huge lessons that we learned was the disparate impact, and particularly in the Latino community. Take us back when people were first seeing these these big inequalities. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting, it's the story of how this all unfolded, is basically as soon as Shelter-in-Place was announced, so this was in March 2020 in San Francisco, your Latino leaders in San Francisco, they knew that their community was going to be impacted because they knew that their community was going to be less able to shelter in place, that these were people who were going to be working, you know, in your grocery stores, working in, in kind of places that were going to stay open, and they weren't going to be able to stay home and protect themselves. And they knew that they often were living in households what would be multi-generational, where you'd have, you know, 10 people in a home. And so if somebody got sick in that house, it was going to be really hard for them to you know, prevent that from spreading to others. They knew that if those folks got infected, that they wouldn't kind of really have any means of isolating, of, you know, going to a hotel, of, you know, kind of taking care of themselves in that way. So they knew sort of all those things were going to be an issue, but they didn't have any evidence. They couldn't have point to like any data that said our community is going to be disproportionately impacted by this. They just knew it would be. And meanwhile, around the same time, say in April, maybe a month later, these doctors at San Francisco General Hospital were noticing that among their patients who were hospitalized, a huge proportion of them were Latino. So they were seeing the kind of tail end impact of this, that this was a community that was clearly being hard hit. And they kind of wanted to get more information about that. You know, how were people becoming infected? You know, we're seeing this this end effect in the hospital. What did that mean and kind of about transmission in the community? And was there sort of a way to stop that and kind of prevent people from getting so seriously ill? And so everybody kind of these two sides of it, the community side and then sort of the frontline health worker side were seeing that this impact or they were suspecting it. But nobody really kind of had this firm data. And so early on, these scientists kind of came on board and they said, we need a means of of collecting that. We need to go into the community and and actually test everybody there and just see how widespread this virus is in this particular community. And they did that. They basically picked, you know, four by four blocks in the mission to kind of survey, test everybody that they could there and find out just kind of how far reaching this virus was. And in that first study, they actually found that something like 95 percent of all the infections in that neighborhood were in Latino residents. And even though that 
you know, it is largely a Latino neighborhood. It's not like there aren't, you know, it's it's, it's not like it's only Latinos living there. So that 95% was a really remarkable number. Everybody who saw that was was actually surprised. But now they had the data to say this was something that that is worth pursuing um, and it's worth kind of an intervention of going into that community now and, and seeing what they could do about it. All right, Aaron, I want to take a quick break. When we come back more with Aaron Alday, Chronicle Health reporter on a unique COVID testing and research clinic in San Francisco's Mission District. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa, joined by Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday. We're talking about a unique COVID testing and research site in San Francisco's Mission District. Aaron, talk to me about how this came together. I mean, how difficult is it to put together something like this? What did it take? It is difficult only because these groups maybe haven't worked this closely together before. So I think, you know, it was a little bit of a rocky rollout because, you know, some of it was basic. At the start, I think we all remember that the testing, for example, was scarce, right? So, it was really hard to to even get the number of tests we needed in San Francisco. We all remember, you know, how hard it was to get tested. Um, and in, in early days, you actually had to have symptoms to get tested, which we now know is is kind of ridiculous because. And, and Aaron, even in the testing, there was inequalities in the Latino community. There were inequalities. Um, and, and that was partly why, you know, they after the after kind of doing that initial survey in April, they decided, OK, we need to move kind of our testing resources into the communities that are impacted. So early on, like one of the biggest testing centers in the city was at the Embarcadero, but it was drive through. You had to drive over there. You had to make an appointment online to go over there. And it just wasn't accessible to the community that was being hardest hit in San Francisco. And so, you know, these public health and these Latino leaders and then these scientists kind of got together and said, okay, we need to bring testing to the communities that are most impacted. And so, you know, they picked the mission, they picked the Tenderloin, they picked a few other spots throughout San Francisco. But even when they made that decision, you know, I was talking with some folks who were leading kind of these early clinics, and they still would kind of week to week, you know, they would get 300 tests one week, and then the next week they would only get 100 tests. And then the next week it would be 200. It was so unreliable and and testing was still so scarce that, you know, these Latino leaders that I spoke with were saying, you know, they felt like they had to just fight and fight and fight to even, you know, even at that point to bring resources to their community because it was just everybody was kind of scratching, you know, at, at the same kind of short supply. All right. So now it's been more than two years, Aaron. I mean, what kinds of things are coming out of this clinic? What's happening? It's very cool, the science that, that has come out of there. And what's most impressive to me is is the, some of the science they've, they've pulled out of that site has actually had global impact. You know, it's actually affected kind of globally what we understand about COVID and how it spreads. So one of the earliest studies that I think I already mentioned was this kind of surveillance of the mission, but they looked at symptomatic and asymptomatic cases. And that was 
what they found was about half of the cases that were testing positive were in people who never had symptoms. And now, of course, we know that. I mean, that's, you know, a huge part of this pandemic is is asymptomatic spread. But in these early months, early weeks, rather, you know, we we suspected that was an issue. We didn't know really how big of an issue it was. We didn't know quite that, you know, half of cases would be asymptomatic. And so the research that they pulled out of of the Mission District really kind of fed into our understanding of, of the role that asymptomatic spread was. And that, for example, opened up testing, right? So early on, you know, CDC and all these kind of major agencies were saying only test people who are symptomatic. Well, because of work that was done out of that clinic, out of this mission clinic, you know, CDC and other organizations relaxed those rules. It wasn't only because of the mission district. You know, that was part of some other research that was coming in, but it certainly played a role. And similarly, back in December of 2021, when Omicron first started spreading and testing again became scarce, well, we first started having these kind of at-home tests. You know, we know that we all use these at-home tests all the time now. Well, back in December of 2021, those were just kind of dribbling out. They weren't really out on the market yet, and people didn't know how reliable they were. There were some early studies to kind of say that they were doing okay, but we didn't really quite trust them yet, or this, a lot of the scientists didn't. So these folks at the Mission District, these scientists, they conducted a study looking at these at-home tests and seeing how they compared to these you know, PCR tests that we'd all been using before, and they found that they were pretty equal, that these at-home tests did a pretty good job, and that they would catch enough cases that that they would help, you know, kind of curb transmission. They would do what we needed them to do. And they actually used that data. They kind of handed it off to some of these at-home test suppliers to help them kind of get that formal FDA approval. And, you know, as one scientist told me, the, the reason why you can buy some of these tests at Walgreens now is because of that work that was done at that Mission Clinic site. Aaron, so what happens now? You you write about the funding of this site. What What happens going forward? The site has been funded by from a variety of sources, you know, private donations. It has a lot of federal funding that's, you know, come in to kind of support. I mean, mostly it's federal funding that's come in to support testing and, and vaccination efforts. And that funding really is only guaranteed, uh, you know, I'm told through the end of this year. And so that Mission Clinic site in particular it's kind of uncertain um, what happens to it after the end of this year. I know some folks with public health, you know, they seem to think that it could be going, they could kind of keep it open, you know, into next spring. But, you know, nobody's kind of ready to make promises at this point. And I think ideally, the community would love to see this be, you know, a permanent clinic that would leave it, have it, have it be there kind of, you know, during this recovery phase of the pandemic. Um, I mean, obviously, the pandemic is still ongoing. So there's still is a, there, the argument is that there still is a need for just those basic COVID services. But they have expanded out. They offered monkeypox vaccine when that was kind of taking off. They now do testing for diabetes and HIV and a few kind of other other health operations. So, you know, it's it's been such a success and so popular in the community that that folks would really like to see it keep going. But at this point, they just don't know, you know, what that looks like um, really beyond the end of this year. Well, we'd obviously like to think that it's not going to be necessary very soon, but but the pandemic goes on. And I wonder what are people's specific fears about what will be lost if that clinic closes? Well, one of the big fears, of course, is just that access to testing and even vaccinations. If this clinic were to close at the end of this year, the pandemics, or at least COVID is going to be around for, you know, the foreseeable future. I don't know that we'll ever shake COVID. And it's hard to say, you know, when this sort of pandemic phase will end, you know, when we won't be dealing with these surges that kind of roll out with some regularity. And so, you know, if if folks don't have, you know, a place to go to get 
tested and to get, you know, updated vaccines. You know, home testing can only take us so far. Some people can't afford home testing. And if the free home testing programs go away, which which they are, they have already, then, you know, folks may be really having a hard time finding a place just to get tested. And, you know, again, they're just sort of building up some of these other resources. And I think that they really kind of want to get people you know, to to use this clinic to kind of get some of their, their more basic healthcare needs. And, you know, nobody kind of wants to lose the inroads they've made, the progress they've made in, in that area. Aaron Alday, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest today. She's Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs> 